Welcome to episode 136 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. So we're going to do our Mobile World Congress show wrap-up. We are a little late. Both Anshul and I got back late last week after the big event. So this will be posting on Monday of this week. But let's get to it. I was able to post my Forbes wrap-up article. And if you're interested, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that on the podcast today. Go hit my Twitter handle at WillTownTech. And Anshul is working on his as well, and it should be posting within the next 24 hours. But with that said, let me start with my first topic. And I want to talk about Nokia. And so in my Forbes article, I wrote, this was probably the, the spl- flashiest or splashiest of all the announcements at MWC. But Nokia uh, revealed a new brand. And Patrick Moorhead, Daniel Newman, and I were at that reveal ceremony on Sunday. So we got to work early <laughs> and we had a very full week and we'll be talking more about that. But there's a new there's a new brand logo. And that is part of a six-point plan that CEO Pekka Lundmark is embarking on. And this is an attempt for the company to recast itself as a business-to-business services company and infrastructure company. Certainly they've had branded phones over the years. That is now a license with, and you probably know the name of the company, right? Jernity Global. Yes. But that brand will remain the same because it is very much associated with consumers. So the new brand, it's very interesting. It's almost hieroglyphic. And and that's by intention because executives told me at the event or shortly after the event on Sunday that having these hieroglyphs together connotes collaboration. And certainly when you see all of the the figures together, the characters together, whatever you want to call them, you can definitely see Nokia. There was a lot of reactions, some positive, some negative. I like it. It's very science fiction feeling, but it's one way that the company can begin to recast itself as a B2B company. It is going to require more than logos. So the six-point plan that I just referred to um, that uh, Nokia CEO presented at the event, and I'll just run through them real quick, grow its CSP business faster than the market. That makes sense. Expand the share of the enterprise business. Okay. We manage the portfolio. I Patrick Morin and I found that one interesting. Certainly in the past, Nokia's had some challenges with some of their semiconductor strategy and that sort of thing. So I'm assuming, and I allude to that in my Forbes article, that could be what drives that third point. They want to secure their business longevity via Nokia technologies. They want to build new business models, and they did talk about some of those at the event, and they want to develop its ESG business, its enterprise business into a competitive advantage. And certainly Nokia has some competitive advantages. They've been very strong in optical. They've been very strong in radio. But at a high level, I think this was very well received. Sometimes you need to do something, even if it's a brand mark to recast itself. And certainly in the two years that its CEO has been on the job. Now, Pekka was actually a former employee. I didn't know this. He started his career at Nokia in 1990 and worked for the company for about a decade. Then he left, he did several other things and he came back two years ago. Certainly he's done things to flatten organizational structures, reduce cost. And one of the things that I find really interesting Prior to his arrival, the business units, they were sharing budget amongst different business units. And so what he did is, and hopefully I'm characterizing this correctly, he basically created accountability within each individual business unit from a P&L perspective. And so all of those things have helped the company improve its profitability. 
but its share price has lagged. You and I have talked about that for quite some time, but I don't know if you have any further comments or if you want to jump into your first recap for the show, but I'll let you take it. I think Nokia has been on a interesting path. I think that their biggest challenges have been that as they've rebounded their business or found ways to grow, they've been stifled by either economic things or trends or one thing or another. Yeah, They did have a lot of turnover in the last few years. I think really what this company needs is stability and execution. And I think that will allow their share price to recover because it's still fairly low. Yeah. today where it is relative to where it was. And maybe that makes them a value. Ericsson's also been hammered quite heavily. So yeah. I think in general, these two big networkers are in a very challenged space, but I think it's, it's overstated in terms of how hard they're being hit. Yeah. And I don't actually see that growth of networks is going to slow. I think it's going to change. And I think that's why Nokia's position today for private networks is very strong because I think there's going to be a lot of growth in private networks, 5G. And I think them realizing that that also requires more services and broader enterprise, Mm -hmm. they're just going to need to look for places to grow. And I think that's what part of this new strategy is. And I think they've made some right moves that have set them up for this. And I think the branding is pretty good. I think it was cool the way they had it set up at the show where the O in Nokia was like a hallway through the booth. Yeah, and yeah. I actually used that to take a 3D picture on a tablet that I was using, uh-huh. which we'll be talking about later in the podcast. And yeah, I just think the branding was solid. I had a you know, tour through the booth to see some of their future demos and some of the demos of the things that they're working on today. Yeah, And yeah, it was really interesting to see how they're fitting into a lot of the future networks and technologies. Yeah, I'll just make a final comment on their sort of refocus on the enterprise. This has been traditionally hard for Nokia in the past because their route to market is through service provider. And so when you look at what they've tried to do with Nuage Networks, they've built a very decent business with respect to SD-WAN and that sort of thing, leveraging a lot of their intellectual property. But route to market has been challenging because it's been service provider through the enterprise. They, In one of the sessions I attended, an executive did speak to the fact that they are they are partnering with other companies One in particular, Dell Technologies. Dell ships more servers than probably anyone on the planet. I haven't looked at the latest market share numbers, but they're leveraging relationships like with Dell to change that selling motion and bring them into enterprise opportunities. And Dell is interesting because they don't have anything that that really competes with Nokia, unlike Hewlett Packard Enterprise with its Aruba unit. They offer SD-WAN and that sort of thing. So Dell's strategy with networking is much more complementary with Nokia. So they would be wise to really partner strongly with Dell and have Dell bring them into opportunities because an enterprise selling motion is completely different than a service provider selling motion. I speak about that in my Forbes article, but let's move to your first topic. And you and I visited Qualcomm, but you spent a lot of time with MediaTek. It looks like ZTE, Nubia, Oppo, OnePlus, Honor, and Leah. And you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm going to try and keep it brief. Okay. And I'll try to um, stay brief. Like we went long on that first one, didn't we? But it was- a lot of things happened. A lot of companies announced things. I, and to your point, I will have a complete article around the XR side of things. I will maybe have something later in the week uh, around the 5G side of things in terms of technology. Yeah. But basically Qualcomm, this is their show. They made tons of announcements across momentum in the XR space, 5G, Wi-Fi, basically every OEM that announced a new device at the show, like Oppo, like OnePlus, 
like Honor, like ZTE, yeah. all of their flagship devices that they maybe launched in China and then were launching globally in Europe and North America at MWC, they all had Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 SOCs paired with Qualcomm's Wi-Fi chips. So those, that was a really good show for them. They had a lot of demos at their booth, a lot of XR headsets, a lot of fixed wireless equipment. I'll say that MediaTek, they had a new booth this year and it was right next to Nokia's. It was gigantic. Yeah, It was way bigger than they've ever had before. And they had a lot of partners on the floor, including, I don't know, more than a dozen fixed wireless CPEs. So they definitely are winning there. And they had some satellite demos, which I'll be talking about later in my second topic about how everybody's positioned themselves for satellite. And then Nubia, they announced a new AR headset as well as a 3D tablet, which is what I was talking about. That was actually through a partnership with Leia, who makes the 3D display. And Leia's launching their US version of that tablet as the LoomPad 2. And then Oppo had a bunch of phones that they announced in the U in Europe and not really North America, but Europe um, that were foldables, as well as their AR glasses. And OnePlus showed off a concept phone that uses liquid cooling to cool itself off, as well as their upcoming Android tablet, which is powered by MediaTek. So lots mm -hmm. of intertwined relationships here. I think it was a big show for Qualcomm, MediaTek, and all their partners. And yeah, it was a very exciting show for the smartphone OEMs and their suppliers. And G was very prevalent and almost like a non-topic because of how 5G is the base level now. And yeah, maybe we're looking at 5G advance, which is part of my second topic. So I'm going to let you chime in before we move on. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Obviously, you get to cover all the fun stuff, right? And I get to cover the boring infrastructure. But yeah, I mean, the booth, just from my perspective, the, sh the show is it's back. It's not quite at pre-pandemic attendance levels, but I think in my Forbes article, I state that it's it was pretty close to 100,000 people. The booths were big. Qualcomm had another just a huge space as well. And yeah, I'm with you. It's, we've been on this 5G journey since probably 2018. And so we're beginning to see the maturity of it. I met with a lot of smaller infrastructure players that are really focused on SA and private and fixed wireless access. And I think all of that will be the lion's share of the focus for the better part of this year. But, but with that, let me talk about my second topic. And I want to talk about something that the GSMA announced. They announced an initiative called Open Gateway. And you know, why it's potentially a big deal is that it is an effort to expose APIs both at the infrastructure level and just with what the mobile network operators are doing to accelerate 5G service delivery. This isn't something that's new. Guys have been talked about for quite some time. TM Forum is gaining some momentum right now, exposing APIs and the initiatives that they're focused on. But what I really like about Open Gateway is that last year, Ericsson put its stake in the ground and said, hey, one of the things that needs to be done is to expose APIs to developers so that they can innovate more quickly and develop the next ride-sharing application in a 5G world. I always quote that as the poster child use case for LTE. But again, that was Ericsson last year at an event that I attended. But this year with Open Gateway, there's support from 21 mobile network operators out of the gate. And, and it's pretty compelling. So initially they're publishing eight open API. The ones that I found that were most compelling are one around quality of service on demand, which that would be angled towards the network slicing thing. Edge site selection. You and I have talked about how a mobile edge computing is gonna supercharge 5G use cases. So I thought that was interesting. 
And then routing and device location verification. That's going to drive a lot of location-based services. And there's some pretty sophisticated things that you can do with 5G in that regard. And my friends at the Linux Foundation, through an open source project called Kamara, uh, will be managing this. So it's eight to start, but there are, there are many more open APIs that are planned to be published. Linux Foundation will manage that catalog. But I think this is good because typically in, LT, in, in LTE, it was a dumb pipe mentality on the part of the mobile network operators. And you and I had talked about this a couple of years ago. It was like the whole unlimited plan shoe dropped, but there was really no innovation. And then the over the tops came in and provided the innovation, like the Ubers and the Lyfts and the other applications. And my hope is that not only will these MNOs help expose APIs, hopefully they start investing in companies and monetizing these applications. And you and I have talked about T-Mobile. They do that with their ventures group. We've spoken, we spoke with Neville Ray at the event. We had a great conversation as Neville is nearing his retirement, but we've spoken with John Saul. You and I were at their analyst event in Bellevue last year and, and T-Bumble, they're getting it. They're, they're working with operate or they're working with these application providers and really driving innovation. Hano AI, a company that you and I have talked about on a prior podcast that that uses 5G to monitor wildfire likelihood, they were given an award at the event this year. I'm not sure if it was a GLOMO or another award. I've been a GLOMO judge in the past, but that's a proof point there. I don't know if there's any more that you want to add to that, but I just feel like there needs to be more efforts like this to really accelerate 5G innovation because honestly, a lot of there are a lot of people that are just not impressed with where we're at today. But what do you think? Yeah, I think you pretty much hit all the points I was going to say. There just needs to be more ability to take advantage of the smart network. Yeah. And developers need to be able to point to certain APIs within the network to maximize their application's utility, either to minimize latency or improve power consumption or improve performance. So yeah. I think these things are coming. Enough, something that I think will be talked about in my second topic. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So let's get into it. No surprise, satellite was a big conversation point. You and I... We attended a Qualcomm roundtable together and they talked about the satellite Snapdragon or Snapdragon satellite solution, but you want to talk about that in XR and then 5G advanced. Yeah. So there were a lot of satellite demonstrations and conversations. The big ones were MediaTek and Bullet announcing two different devices from Bullet, actually three different devices, two phones and a hotspot that are capable of doing two-way messaging today. One of those is an interesting hotspot that actually you can connect to a device via Bluetooth. So you can add functionality to existing devices and the device is only a hundred bucks and it connects both to Android and iOS devices, which is really cool. Or yeah. you can just buy a phone that has that capability built in. MediaTek announced which chipset they're using for this. And it's a standalone chipset, standalone modem. I actually wrote about that on Forbes before the show because they announced it like the day before the show started. And we had lots of companies like Qualcomm talking about Snapdragon satellite momentum, which OEMs are picking that up. Uh, and they got Honor and Xiaomi and a couple others to say that you were taking this service on. And then <clears throat> there were other things around satellite, like Nokia was talking about how their component of what AST Space Mobile is doing with AT&T yeah. So it was really interesting just to see satellite is very popular. I did not meet with SCS Global this year, which is actually one of the companies that I was first introduced to that was looking to do 5G satellite pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where they're at with this technology, but there's a lot of companies out there that are working in that space. And then on the XR side, the reason why I brought that up during our previous topic 
is because Qualcomm is working on building 5G APIs specifically for XR to allow improved location and improved awareness of where the user is looking, make 5G applications better yeah. um, to improve battery life and performance. And then there was tons of other XR stuff. There were some demos that MediaTek was also showing with 5G and XR for remote rendering. And I actually met with HTC and they showed me their latest OpenRAN 5G in a box. It's called the Raincore S2. This is actually their second generation device. And it's basically a 5G core in a box that's OpenRAN compliant. They work with Lumen to build this thing as well as Supermicro. And you basically deploy the box in 30 minutes and you can connect a bunch of XR headsets to it, which basically sets up a perfect environment for them to remotely access G connectivity. And you can do it from multiple uh, types of services. So it was really cool because they're showing an appliance that you can buy today that can do this functionality. And then they show you how they're actually doing it at the same time. So they were running a remote render demo of VRED Autodesk software doing automotive design collaboration while they were also doing a virtual production studio in the other part of the booth, running that both of those applications off of this 5G core. It's very interesting. Uh, lots of interesting stuff going on in the 5G and the XR and satellite components of 5G. And then there was a little bit of talk of 5G advanced looking into the future. I think we also saw some talk of 6G, but I think 6G talk may have been the most from, from Nokia, actually. But in general, I think even Nokia talked about the metaverse in their launch of their new brand and how that's a component of what they're doing. And I think it's very much because they see enterprise as a key component of the growth of the metaverse. And if they're going to be an enterprise services company, they need to make sure that they understand and can address that market. And yeah, the 5G advanced standard will be released in a couple of years and probably will be in devices maybe in about three years. And we will probably see a lot of XR enhancements there. There will be enhancements to satellite as well, because satellite NTN is mostly a, a release 17 thing. And we'll very likely see NTN satellite 5G in release 18 with much faster downlink and more features like video calling and voice calling, which we won't have for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I think you covered two topics at once, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yes. I can fire off a, a third, but I was just trying to be efficient with my use of time. No, we went long on the Nokia one on the first one, but I've got one more and then we can definitely wrap it up. I'll just, I'll make a final note at that Sunday Nokia reveal, since we're talking about metaverse and XR and all of that, there, there was a slide that was put up there where that's definitely a focus, right? And I think you addressed that quite well for Nokia to be credible. Um, Within their renewed focus on BDB, they're going to have to have a pretty solid metaverse strategy and something that is able to be monetized within the enterprise and have real enterprise applications. And we could probably do a podcast just in having you riff on what you see the potential for mixed reality within the enterprise and the metaverse. But let me finish up with my final topic. And I want to talk about Huawei. And in my Forbes article, I think the sub-headline I used was that the rumors of Huawei's death have been greatly exaggerated. They, by all measures, had the largest booth footprint at the event. It's interesting because Huawei has been under the radar screen for the last two years, but they came out in a really big way. And I did spend a little bit of time with them because I was just curious, right? 
about what's going on. And uh, one of the things that really caught my eye was a mining use case, a diamond mining use case. And the joint venture between De Beers and the Botswana government is called, uh, I always screw this up, Botswana. And what's really interesting, I learned that Botswana as a region in Africa, it basically represents the highest number of exported goods, which are diamonds from continent. It contributes two thirds to the overall country's GDP. So this is really important. And Debswana partnered with Huawei um, several years ago to deploy an LTE solution. Their mines have been open since the 60s. The first one was open in the 60s. The second one was opened in the 80s. They've been very manual. Obviously, they're, we've, I think I've talked about 5G use cases with respect to mining to automate things, make things safer and that sort of thing. Basically, what happened during the pandemic, they had an LTE deployment in place, but they wanted to take advantage of 5G. They wanted to be able to do things like autonomous piloting of mining vehicles and that sort of thing. They wanted to leverage their vision applications tied to smart cameras. So they started this during the pandemic. They partnered with Huawei and Huawei even developed some sort of coding for their cameras that would repel dust and grime and dirt, maybe not diamond granules, but so that it provided unobstructed views of the mining operation. So I just thought it was really interesting. They, there was representatives from the Botswana, from Huawei, and also from just the mining operation itself. And they basically stated that they looked at many different infrastructure providers and Huawei provided the solution that was in their mind, best of class. So this is interesting because it leverages 5G. Obviously there are certain parts of the world that are not as concerned as the West is about spying and security breaches and that sort of thing. But I don't know if you caught any of the Huawei activity, but before we close it, I'd love to get your thoughts. I did. Oh, I went cool. to their booth before the show closed because mm -hmm. I was curious. I wanted to see what devices they had on display. They did have some of their latest devices. Like I think it was the Mate 40 or 50. I already lost. I always lose track of what number they're oh. on. But their latest Mate devices, including with the Porsche design one, I okay. thought it was interesting. They didn't have any of their foldables out on display, which I thought was really odd. Um, because foldables are like a big battlefield right now. And I also saw some controversy about their badges tracking people. Oh, I know. And, I heard that. Yeah. And people were tearing down their badges and finding that there were trackers inside of them. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that it feels like one of those things where Huawei said that on the back of the badge that there was a tracker, but nobody yeah. looks on the back of their badges. And nobody, they didn't tell anybody that they were doing that. And I think the big reason why I think it's a, a big issue is one, they have a lot of trust problems already. But also, if you're tracking people's location in a booth and you have some of the most advanced AI people tracking software in the world, you're telling me you couldn't do that purely with cameras? <laughs> right. Yeah, so, the optics are not good here. No. Um, and it was using wireless communications at a wireless show to track people without their consent. Yeah, it's big oof. I found that that folks at the Huawei booth are pretty adamant about having that those badges returned. So these were special Huawei badges that you had to wear to, to enter certain parts of the booth and you had to pre-register and all of that. And I was able to do that. But uh, it was Marsha Collier, actually, a colleague of mine who I missed her at Mobile World Congress this year, but 
she made me first aware of that. I think it was a light reading article that was written where they were actually showing teardowns, like phone teardowns. But hopefully Huawei learns, you know, like you got to be so careful with this. The optics are not good and they're doing their darnest to build trust. They've opened cybersecurity centers all around the world. They invite people in to inspect their infrastructure. And it just, it's, it seems like it's one step forward and three steps back for them. But anyway, they're still driving the business. There are certainly parts of the world that are comfortable with what they do in cellular infrastructure. The company has also been building its presence and enterprise as well with networking solutions, routers, and that sort of thing. It only constituted maybe four or five years ago, 10 billion, that's hundred billion in top line revenue. That's grown significantly for obvious reasons as they pivoted away in certain parts of the world from providing cellular infrastructure. But yeah, it was really interesting. And it'll also be interesting to see how they move forward because again, they were off the radar for the last two years and boy, yeah, they came yeah. back huge. I was actually reading Mobile World Live this morning and apparently they're also abandoning, according to the Daily Telegraph, they're ab purportedly abandoning uh, the development of their one billion pound research campus in the UK, which they have yet to even break ground on. Oh, well, yeah, I didn't catch any of that. They are big and in reinvesting in R&D and they claim to have one of the largest patent portfolios. On the planet, although patent counting doesn't necessarily indicate innovation, but they certainly file a lot of patents. But hey, buddy, it's been a great wrap-up session. I know, you know, you and I and Patrick Moorhead, we were just going all week, but it was really exciting to be back and to see the attendees there. And to, it was great. To really, yeah, to really see 5G maturing and, and we're just inching ever closer to standalone and we're inching ever closer into network slicing and... My, my friend, Dean Bubbly, he may disagree with me on the power of network slicing. We had a little Twitter chat going on over the weekend about that after NWC, but hey, to each, we all have opinions there, but, but hey, it's been another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whaletown Tech and I'm Anshal Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week. And don't forget to rate us and subscribe. We also have the audio podcast, which is now shortened via AI. So if you think we ran a little long on the video side, <laughs> hop on over to the audio side and it'll be a few minutes shorter. Once and we're again, on Spotify. We're on Apple. Where else are we at, Angel? We're everywhere. And we're if everywhere. we're not, let us know. Please subscribe. All right.